Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined us by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, we've got some TV to talk about this week. I'm very appreciate it. Okay, so yes, they're, Killing Eve is finishing up its season, and yes, Insecure has had, by all accounts, a very strong season, and no, I have not started either of them, and yes, I'm very certain I will at least really, really like Insecure of those two, but you know what I did watch this week? I watched Competitive Flower Arranging. So there's a lot of TV to talk about. <laughs> There is, yeah, and that's how that's how bottom of the barrel we're getting is competitive flowering. No, it's not because it's bottom of the barrel. It's because that is the content I'm looking for right now. That's fair, and to also to be fair, Killing Eve kind of sucks this season. So okay, I'm not feeling too bad about that choice then. No, but no, fine. like I, I, you know, there's there are reasons that my brain is going. Yeah, just rewatch Sensate and rewatch uh, Limitless and. Put on some ultimate tag, uh, and because, some holy moly, and some you holy moly. Two episodes of holy moly. This yes, week. listeners, Listen. I'm breaking her down bit by bit. <laughs> <laughs> there's what we're saying is there's going to be there's quite a bit of reality talk this week because yeah. uh, that's where my brain is at. Um, so so yeah, we still have a lot of TV to talk about. In a few weeks, we will start getting creative, but we're not yes. there yet. And uh, we wanted to mention, because I forgot last week, we heard from Vince over on Twitter, no new TV seasons until January 2021. That sounds like a good opportunity for us to bring back the DVD shelf. And may I suggest Everwood and or Life? I know, I know, shocking suggestions coming from me. Um, And obviously, I'm, you know, we've talked about before, I'm a big fan of Life, so I would be down for that when we get there. Uh, But I've actually never seen any Everwood I have seen a good amount of Everwood. We watched it on uh, Sunday evenings when the WB would air reruns of their primetime programming mm-hmm. uh, bef- as lead-ins to their like primetime stuff uh, that they did on Sundays sometimes. Uh, so I've seen like a good bit of it. Um, so I'm vaguely familiar with the show. Enough to know that like Chris Pratt is really famous now and Gregory Smith went from being an actor to being a director um, which I think is probably the better choice. Uh, not a comment on his talent, just directing is more fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but also may I suggest, uh-huh. because the entire thing is now available on HBO Max, The Big Bang Theory. All 11 seasons. No. No? No. It's an important piece of contemporary no. television history. No. no? Friends? I... I- I could deal with some friends, but I'm putting my foot down on Big Bang Theory, despite very much enjoying certain aspects of that show, because the show improves dramatically when they uh, add to the cast with the, the like the female cohorts, right? Yes. Uh, the other women. It does, but significantly. And then it stagnates again. <laughs> that dramatic improvement in the show comes with it, creepy, stalkerish, uh, unacceptable behavior uh, from Amy that is treated as adorable because it's coming from a woman and therefore, like, harassment. <laughs> it's just cute guys. So, yeah, no, I have no uh, no interest 
in doing a Big Bang Theory watch. Despite, again, really liking the proposal scene across the glass with the song for Bernadette. Like, I like there's some stuff in that show that I really, really appreciate and a bunch of really talented actors there, but no. But okay. we will be getting to a point here, not, we have discussed, uh, Vince, about how we're going to approach things when we start running low on shows, and uh, some sort of back and forth, like, I pick a show, you pick a show kind of situation uh, is likely where we are headed at some point. But I'm curious, because, like, the thing with the DVD shelf is, theoretically, we watch a bunch of a show. Yeah. And I just don't have the time for that anymore, like I did previously when I was underemployed and trying to, like scrape together enough students and gigs to, like, make ends meet. So now I'm fortunately, uh, even in the current situation, I'm managing to be mostly employed level for, with my violin, which means uh, significantly underpaid, so therefore working way too many hours. <laughs> um, and so, so that is, uh, I don't have the time to watch a whole series in a week the way that I used to. Like, yeah. that one weekend I watched 30 episodes of Cheers. Um, it was glorious. Such a good show. But we will come up with solutions. We have ideas. Um, any other shows that we should throw out there that, that you think we sh- that we may, may get to, Noel? Um, I mean, The Jetsons is all on HBO Max now, so mm-hmm. I feel like The Jetsons is a possibility. Um, we do all of The Jetsons, including the bad 1980s animation style that doesn't look nearly as good. Uh-huh. Like these, These are the thoughts I have now. See, whereas uh, I'm more like, can we hunt down dinosaurs? Can we hunt down some of Dinosaurs is really hard to find, I think. Um, yeah. Which is a shame. Because um, that's great. Yeah. No, it's yeah. going to be what's available streaming, since libraries aren't available right now. <laughs> <laughs> libraries are certainly less available. Um, so listeners, reach out and let us know what shows you want us to, to like, either... Let's say this. Focus on short-run shows... Um, so miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, I would be all for like a bu- doing a bunch of like really eventful miniseries that I have never that seen. That could be good. Um, or did you ever see Merlin? No, I never did see Merlin. Oh man, I'd like to revisit Merlin, especially now that Sam Neill's like a total chick magnet. <laughs> anyway, it's go the on. dog. It's the dog on all the social <laughs> so- social media. Weird. Um, but uh, or or shows that were like one and done. Or, mm-hmm. like, two seasons but not that many episodes. Or kinds of shows where you can give us a list of ten episodes that we can watch and have, like, a good sense of the show. Something like that. Um, so what we're saying is a lot of British comedies, everyone. Oh, yeah. Is what we're looking for is a lot of British comedies. Very here <laughs> for a British comedy. Um, so so we'll be, we've been thinking about it. We have ideas. But we want to hear from you guys, too, of, of things that you would be excited about us talking about. Um, so... Because, I mean, the one that keeps coming up in my brain, because I still feel like I didn't give it a good enough shot for Carl, is Detectorists. I feel like I need to give that one another go. But um, we've already talked about it on the show, so it wouldn't be for that. It would just be for my own, like, conscience, because I still feel bad about that one. Uh, News-wise in the TV world, uh, unfortunately, as anticipated, but uh, we were hoping against hope, Emergence was canceled. But Stumptown was renewed, so get ready to get stumped in season two, whenever that is. Whenever that is, right. No, yeah, I'm very disappointed about Emergence, but absolutely not surprised in any way, shape, or form. Because mm-hmm. um, we were literally the only three people watching that show. <laughs> and I say three, because I'm counting my partner in that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But Stumptown I'm very glad about, and I'm hoping that they sort of recalibrate the show just a smidge. 
Yeah. Because they need to do something with their supporting cast and figure out what that supporting cast is and how it interacts. Um, but otherwise, I'm very excited to keep on stumping. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what we do in the shadows was renewed for season three. And when I saw that news, I was both, you know, relieved and very happy, but also surprised that it hadn't been renewed sooner. Um, so that, because that felt like a no brainer and it feels like FX usually when they have a good show, they support it. Um, yeah, but we've got Disney now and that like changes the calculus. Yeah. But yeah. So anyways, at least we know what we do in the shadows. Season three is coming, um, which will make the series, a season finale of that, that is coming in just a couple weeks here, um, be a little less of a sting. So at least we can look forward to a season three of what we do in the shadows. Uh, there was also a change to the Golden Globes eligibility rules that, that popped up on my radar this week that I was fascinated by. And this was due to the Mandalorian because apparently their, their rules about who is eligible for best actor is you voice performance, voice only performances are not eligible, which is stupid, but, um, at least make it its own category, I guess. But, but what was strange to me is this notion that because you couldn't see his face, that that meant it was a voice-only performance. And the the real change is that because you actually do see his face, there's there are enough scenes where you see his face such In that the he last is last episode of the season, such that he is eligible. But it's like, what do they think he's doing with his body? Because his body is also acting. Yeah. So here's my thing about this is like a couple of different things. One, there is the physicality aspect of it that you're acting, you're doing a vocal performance that is also acting. My larger problem with it is the confirmed aspect of the fact that Pascal's just not on set for a number of those episodes. So does he only get to technically submit the finale where we know he's at least on set for those scenes? Yeah. As opposed to when his when a stuntman did all that physical work and in collaboration with Pascal. Um, so that's really my problem with it is the fact that we're drawing this really arbitrary line about his eligibility, but not the eligibility of his his fellow actor, basically, who also just did whole episodes of the show and Pascal did not. So that's really kind of squishy for me because it draws a real line of, well, wait, how many episodes does Pascal have to be in for him to technically be eligible then? Mm -hmm. Um, How does this work? Um, And also, it's the Globe, so who the hell cares? Yeah. But if this were the Emmys, I'd be much more, like, up in arms about this, but it's the Globes. But it's all kind of weird bullshit um, that I'm just, I'm not here for. Um, It's just nonsense, and voice acting should be recognized. But this gets into, like, the larger discussion that everyone was having when The Mandalorian came out last year of, wait, why would you hire Pascal to do this when he's just going to be under a helmet the entire time? Yeah. It's like, well, because actors do more than just faces. Like, you you know that acting is more than just face work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and just knowing that he wasn't actually filming all of those scenes or all those episodes. Yeah. There are certain episodes where that makes sense because they're very stunt heavy. Um, so I get that more. And I'm sure that, the, you know, the, the notion of a character being a collaboration between the main actor and at least one stunt performer and these different things that is nothing new and that makes complete sense um and i've been saying for ages there should be a best stunts and best best stunt performer award at the emmys and at the oscars because it is a significant thing that is 
not so to me, only gets its own dedicated separate awards. Like, there's the Producers Guild Award, but guess what? Producers still get an Oscar if they win at the yeah. main awards. Um, so there, so that's very interesting to me, but also I feel va- uh, I feel vindicated by being like, I don't see the performance coming through. In like, sometimes I do, sometimes I see the performance coming through, and sometimes I don't see any specificity to the, the the movements and now i feel slightly less like on my own separate island about that <laughs> knowing that sometimes it was with pascal and sometimes it wasn't and i don't have the same expectations for a stunt performer as i do for pedro pascal who's cast for his acting obviously but also for his name and because he is a respected actor and it gave some prestige to this show that was you know helping launch all this Disney Plus um, mm-hmm. stuff. So, like, I, a little part of me is like, aha! I knew it! But I didn't! But I'm going to say that I knew it! Um, so, yeah, the notion that acting is only the face is very strange. How upset are you going to be when it's only Timothy Elephant's voice in season two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we will see. Um, yeah. Anyways, that is our news for this week. At the end of the show, we're going to be talking about Mrs. America, which just finished up its season, I think, only season, hopefully? Yes. Uh, Thank you. At at Hulu. Um, But until then... FX on Hulu. Sorry, FX on Hulu. It's an important (laughs) distinction that everyone knows and and cares about and certainly remembers. We're going to listen to uh, some some music from Legends of Tomorrow now as we head into our weekend TV. Because the whole thing, as I was watching it, I was like, okay, pause, open up my computer, pull up the the streaming app. We're going to be recording this audio because we will definitely be using it on the podcast. So the whole thing is too long, so I have to use only part of it. Yeah. Um, but yes, you, I just, as soon as it started on Legends, I was like, and we're using this in the podcast because it is very good. It's very good. So enjoy some, uh, I don't, whatever part I use, I don't even know what the name of the song is. Uh, no. Repress. Mr. Parker's repressive, repressive cul-de-sac. <laughs> Anyways, enjoy some music. We'll be right back after this. Sad feelings, bad feelings, make you so mad you want to scream. Feelings, everyone sometimes has those feelings when you do just sing this song. Sparker, I know you're trying to help, but you just... Repress, repress, I'll go back and repress. It's better to bury my feelings than feel as awful as this. Feelings, bad feelings, make you so mad you want to scream feelings. Everyone sometimes has those feelings when you do just sing this song. Ignore, ignore, those pesky feelings are a chore. Obey the fates, eat your mush, and you'll be happy just like the ladybug. That was our Mr. Parker's cul-de-sac uh, song from this week's episode of Legends of Tomorrow. This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with reality this week, and we're going to start with Legendary, which is the voguing competition, dance competition show on HBO Max. This week we had the premiere, Welcome to My House. Then we have, uh, I caught up with a few episodes of The Big Flower Fight, which is on Netflix, which is a flower, a competitive flower arranging and like sculpture kind of show. 
Um, then we're going to talk a bit about Ultimate Tag and Holy Moly, because after your recommendation, Noel, I did check out Ultimate Tag, and I've enjoyed the first two episodes. And then, of course, I had to compare contrast with Holy Moly, so that's coming in a little bit. Then we'll talk Drag Race and their reunion episode Alone Together, then move on to genre with Marvel, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The New Deal, immediately followed by Legends of Tomorrow, the one where we're tapped on TV, and we will round things out with the Good Fight finale, uh... The gang finds Jeff Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein's killer. What is this episode called? The gang finds out who killed Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, thank you. Um, and then just a bit about the season overall, because we haven't talked as much about the season for a while. Uh, but first up is Legendary on HBO Max. I've seen the first two of this. Um, they uh-huh. made the first two available. Um, so I've also seen the the first episode that has an elimination, but I thought it was really smart of them to introduce the house's... Um, and the format and everything without any elimination in the first episode. What did you think of this show? How familiar were you with Voguing beforehand? And, um, you know, was this a a good move to, you know, launch with the start of HBO Match, Max? So as a well-educated, white, upper to middle class person who has almost a master's in media studies, I've seen Paris is Burning. <laughs> right? <laughs> so... I'm familiar with I'm familiar I'm familiar with the ballroom scene through the lens of Paris's burning, mm-hmm. um, which admittedly is dated in terms of just being from like the late '80s and early '90s. Um, so, but not enough that I didn't go like I know who the House of Ninja is. I know who the House of Saint Laurent is. Um, I know like the House of um, there was another house. I think it was the House of West um, mm-hmm. that I've like maybe heard of. Um, but not through Paris is Burning. Um, so I'm familiar enough with it in like that, that conceptualization of it, um, that a lot of this was just like, we're going to do introductions. And I think that works okay. I think that I'm, I should say, I only watched the first episode. I wish I had sort of, wish I had watched that second episode. Um, so I could have actually seen like the competition aspect of this. Um, because the introductory episode of here's everyone, no one's going to get eliminated, but here's everyone. Here's sort of like a sampler of what our format is. Makes for really boring television. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like it's kind of, it's such a weird mashup of like, so you think you can dance and drag race and, um, there was another comparison in the back of my brain that I can't quite put my finger on now when I watched this yesterday. But, like, it just never kind of, like, the first episode never comes together for me in any way, shape, or form that feels compelling or interesting, as opposed to just little set pieces each and now. There's no narrative, basically. Um, And so it just felt more like a chain of, like, almost, like, uh, short music videos for me, rather than I have a sense of who these people are, I have a sense of what this show is about, And that was just really sort of frustrating on like a premiere level for me. So I don't dislike it, um, but like it's not a good intro, I think, to the show to watch that first episode. Apart from this is a primer for all the folks that don't know what this is, Mm -hmm. is how is the best way to look at it. And I think I should have just jumped to the second episode, um, which I think is what I should have done. But I didn't know that the first episode was going to be. Here's what a house is. Here's the history of voguing real fast. Um, here's all of this stuff. And I just went, but I, I, I know all this. I appreciate you doing this quick legwork for me, but I would like to get to the competition now, please. And thank you. 
So were the 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 dances then like the the sequences of the different houses performing wasn't enough for you? It really wasn't enough, and part of that was also I don't like the way that they're edited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it chops up a lot of them depending on like the pace of the pace of it. Um, cause who is it that did, um, largely, um, base covers? Was it Gucci? I don't remember which house, but I remember okay. the sequence. Yeah. And that sequence is pace because of how they perform it. It's edited in a way that really emphasizes a lack of cuts and a slowness to it. Mm-hmm. Other folks where there's a lot of action, where there's a lot of movement, they get cut a lot more to really emphasize that kind of chaotic nature of the dance. And I think that that's a larger problem with like on a production side. And that really takes me, took me out of watching the performances. So it was really difficult to focus on like the performance aspect of it and just focus on the fashion aspect and watch um, whomever has decided that they're going to be the judge that is going to be the angriest and the hardest to um, whatchamacallit um, impress who I think is La Roach um, is like, okay, that's fine. So all I get to do is focus on the fashion when I want to focus on the entire presentation. I don't get to do that in that first episode. So that was really frustrating for me. How did you feel about these two episodes, though? Because I've been talking for a few minutes, and (laughs) I feel like I don't have enough to say because I only watched that first episode, and it was fine. Okay. I liked it more than you did. Okay. I definitely did. Because I, I started watching this uh, while I was on the treadmill, and I was like, you know what? I need to stop. I need to rewatch this so that I can pay attention. Because, like, the editing, like you were saying, so that I could really see what they were doing. I was like, oh, okay. They're not messing around. These are very talented dancers. Okay. Mm-hmm. I need to actually make sure I'm watching this. And so I, so I started it over and, and, and watched it in a less distracting environment. And I think that, I mean, I hear what you're saying, especially if you were already familiar with the basics of ballroom, which, I mean, yeah. obviously neither of us are anything approaching experts on that. Absolutely but, not. I really want to emphasize that. <laughs> yeah. Not even a little bit. Um, but, you know, we're familiar with the terminology, so a lot of the, the basic terminology and, and some of the different moves and, you know, even just from... Seeing, you know, watching Paris is Burning or uh, Drag Race or uh, on, uh, you know, Pose, there's a bunch of ball, yes. ball scenes and stuff. And, you know, granted, those are not actual, you know, Paris is Burning is documentary footage, but, you know, the rest of that is is much more, you know, manipulated and choreographed and presented for narrative purposes. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of hand-holding in this episode if you're new to, to this scene, which I think is probably very good to make sure yes. they get it as wide an audience as possible. But it also can make it feel slow, and it can make it feel repetitive because they got, what, nine houses, eight houses to introduce. Yeah, there's, there's arguably too many houses. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, I would be more interested in, like, a smaller number of houses and a thing where you get points each week but don't get eliminated. Yes, I think that's a much better way of doing this. And that, and so, you know, but because that's not the case, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit more in regards to another show, um, when you go and you, when you watch all of, you know, are introduced to each of these houses and each house has five members. And a lot of times they're trying to introduce each of those five members. It's just, it's too much to follow and it's too much to give any meaningful amount of time to. It's just this exact same problem that they have on Drag Race at the beginning of the season when they're trying to introduce 13 queens. And this season, right, they split it into two premieres, and so it was six and seven, and you got to actually get a sense of the personalities and the the, the skill sets of these competitors because you were only trying to follow six or seven at a time. And it was much, much more successful. So they have the same problem here. 
Um, I, I really liked, you know, I liked the performances. I enjoyed that one house that was like, you just said, you, you said introduce that. So I introduced the house. I didn't know we were all going to like, we didn't take everything to 11 teacher's pets. I just like, <laughs> which shows a lack of, uh, maybe, uh, lack of understanding of the competition from that one house uh, compared to everybody else going all out with their introductions. But, um, yeah, I, I, what I would have liked here, you know, I, I enjoyed this more than you did. I actually was compelled and you know, sat and watched the second episode right away because I could, cause hashtag screening privilege. Um, w what I liked was the performances and what I also liked a lot is our host, uh, Deshaun Wesley. And mm -hmm. I, Really liked uh, Liam uh, Maldonado, who's a really famous and yes. um, respected Vogue performer. And so that they were, were great. And there's not nearly the kind of judging that I think this show would benefit from. And if they had at least one more person on the judging panel who has strong connections to the Voguing world and could give some technique and like specific critiques it would do do it a world of benefit because while I enjoy the personalities that they're doing, I don't have any connection to La Roche or Megan, Megan, the stallion. Um, I really appreciate Jamila Jamil, but do you remember that controversy that happened yes. when she was announced? Yeah. And they said, well, they started out saying she was going to host and judge. And then they said, no, she's not hosting. She's just one of the judges. Yeah, and then this actually this really respected Voger is going to be our the MC. Well, it happens a bit in this first episode, but in the second episode, it happens way more. There is a clear like Jamila Jamil is definitely Jamila Jamil is supposed to be the host yeah. <laughs> because like every time there's an announcement from the judges or like this person is eliminated or this person is is the winner, she always says it. She gives the description of the categories. She gives the thing. It's like, why are you doing that? You've got an MC right here who's very good. Yeah. Let him be the MC and you be one of the judges. Yeah. But that's not like there's a clear delineation. She's got they also bring in a guest judge starting in the second episode, mm -hmm. some celebrity to be on the panel. So now there's five judges and only one of them who knows what they're talking about. And and the judging because there isn't judging really in this. They just give some feedback in the yeah. first episode. But they can either uh, they can either give them tens across the board or they can cut them. And that's it. So they don't actually give them numbers. So you can't get a sense of like that was good, that was like a 6. This is an 8. And here now I will tell you why they got a yeah. higher ranking. It's just either yes or no. It's a pass fail. And then when it goes when it's down to 2, then they pick who they like better. Okay. And and so that's how they structure it. And I think it's it's because they've got judges who can't tell you why something got a 7 and not an 8. Yeah. Um and the the dancers are talented enough and specific enough and interesting enough that I would much rather have like I've got my issues with so you think you can dance, but everyone on that panel, even the person whoever each season is there to be the nice one. Yeah. They always come from a performance background of some sort. Yeah. There's not a lack of expertise. There's not a lack of expertise, even if that judge isn't always playing that. Even if they're playing it down and being very generic, you know that the person knows what they're talking about. And in this, it's a lot of just reactions 
um, to, to, to things and not like, you know, so basically I just go like, okay, what does Leomi say? Leomi say, okay, that's the person I'm actually going to believe because they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And these other people are entertaining, but they are not, in my opinion, they are not up to the challenge represented by the talent level of the dancers. Okay. And so I'm of two minds about it because I there's st- I think it's great that this dance form is getting this platform because it's always frustrating to me on So You Think You Can Dance. Somebody comes out and, and bogues the house down and they never take them to the, even the next level of the competition because the So You Think You Can Dance just doesn't yeah. have that same respect for voguing, which is very frustrating. Um, so I appreciate that there's, you know, you know, this is a very good platform for a bunch of really talented dancers. But I wish they had done a better job with the structure and with their judging panel. And I don't know why they didn't other than maybe budget. Yeah. And I don't know. Like I have, I have so many questions about this show in terms of like the production development cycle of it yeah, and what it was. Um, because basically based on what you've told me regarding Jamil, um, it very much sounds like they want to do Padma from Top Chef and except for the fact that Padma knows what the f*** she's talking about. <laughs> well, and then it would be like if they have Padma on the panel, but then they have someone else hosting all the right. other, th- you know, like, it, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, if, if you are, if you're on the fence, I would say watch episode two. Cause then we, then we can talk about it next week and you can tell me. Yeah. Think. No, I'll definitely watch the second episode and maybe the third, if it's, it should be out by the time we record next we record, week. record. Yeah. Um, so I'll try, I'll carve out space for that. Um, in between watching sad Irish people next week. Um, <laughs> that's our show that we'll be talking about next week, everyone. Oh, I didn't realize they released both episodes yeah. this week. Oh, so, okay, cool. Yeah. Then I can not mince my words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The second yeah. episode's avail- already available. It dropped with the first episode uh, on Wednesday when HBO Max rolled out. Yeah, I just would appreciate as someone with an affinity for the for voguing and the ballroom scene and all of that. I want to understand it better yeah. by watching this show. I want to be able to appreciate the dancers. And what, you know, what they're able to do, which is really neat, and appreciate everything that else that goes into putting on a show, which is featured in the second episode about, like, costuming and choreography and lighting and all that, which is cool. But I also want to walk away knowing more about it, and I don't feel like I am. Yeah. That, so. That's fair. More on well, this next week. do you know more about flower arranging now after watching some of the big flower fights season one, which is currently on Netflix, and a lot of people are talking about yeah, no, I don't. Um, I okay. So this is it's it's the most obvious Great British Bake Off clone so far. Okay, even though there's only one round, but um, each episode has one sculpture that they're doing. How dare you um, say that when things. making it is a thing? I know, right? That that speaks to just how blatant they are with this with, with this this one. Also, we the love reason, making it, so it's not we love it's not shade. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the the reason that I finally pushed play on this is that one of the hosts is Natasha uh, Natasha um, Dimitrio or Nadja from What We Do in the Shadows. <sighs> exactly, right? I was like, oh my god, I'm watching this, and she's delightful, mm-hmm. but. Here's why, okay, if you watch it, I get it. Listeners, if you, if you, and I might, I mean, I might go back and watch more of it too. Um, it was very great to fall asleep to and wake up by the end and then, then, then like see the final results go like, oh, those are really cool. Like that's my level of commitment to this. <laughs> but they commit one of the cardinal sins of reality competition shows in that 
they don't show us everyone's sculptures every week. Uh... So in the second episode, you're still meeting teams that competed in the first episode, but we never saw their finished sculpture. And you can't do that. That's not acceptable. Um, and it's, I think the reason is because they don't want it to be too scattered or maybe they didn't look very good. Mm-hmm. So they only show the best and, and the worst. But like, if you, if your show can't handle, uh, also the, the judge is not very good. They have one main judge and they bring in a guest judge every week. So that's okay. not, that's not a good idea no. either. Um, but, uh, you should not have more hosts than you have judges. <laughs> um, anyways, um. So there's a there's a laudable attention to uh, topics like sustainability. That's a big part of the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so there's some more awareness and more like trying to engage with different issues around uh, like landscaping and sculpture and, and flowers and everything like that. Um, and then I anticipated, which I was really happy to see. But you you cannot, I mean, if you don't trust your judges to be able to explain why this one is good and this one is not, you've got a really big problem. And don't sh- say in your insect episode, oh, we're making a giant snail. And then don't show me the giant snail. And then expect me to be invested in the snail team in the second episode when you decide you're going to spend more time with this father and son duo. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> So I have strong feelings about the big flower, flower fight, despite being only mildly invested. I like some of the teams quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, there's some really obviously very talented people, um, but they're yeah, they're amateur flower arrangers, and they're supposed to be amateurs, but some of them clearly are not, and some of them are, and it's very weird. So it's not like there's a competitive flower arranging circuit that you can go pro in, but like some of them are florists and some of them are like party design specialists. And some of them are artists who also work in a flower shop. Like it's a very different thing. So yeah, it's a mess. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. What a waste of Natasha uh, Demetrio. So she's again, she's delightful. She's very fun. Yeah. Let's talk about Ultimate Tag. Okay. So you talked about this last week. Yeah. And I was intrigued, so I watched it. And it is real dumb. It's so dumb. It's so stupid. (laughs) But it's also really fun. Because the people who are doing it, for the most part, have a good energy and a good perspective. And they're also really good. Like, the the taggers are insane, obviously. That's their job. But the, the competitors are ridiculous like uh, olympic com- competitive track star and i'm like like they are not messing around with who they found to do this and they st- most of them still get their butts kicked and uh yeah it's 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 really fun it's a bit too repetitive yes for me especially like watching the first episode okay i don't know how the different games work fair enough but watching the second episode i had not set the series recording so i couldn't fast forward oh, and it's okay. like i don't need you to explain dodge tag to me again but i understand that if this is your first episode which is very possible yeah you would need that explain okay i see the problem here but i need to be able to fast forward because there's way too much filler also the watt brothers like you said are not very good so and bad. the show <laughs> should have gone a holy moly route and gone for comedians instead of athletes yes and it would be so much better if they had comedians yeah well that's the thing is like um with holy moly you have like an actual sportscaster 
paired with comedian. And that makes a world of difference in terms of like the level of enjoyment here. And the Watt brothers are just very bad on television. Um, and they're terrible commentators because this is a weird thing to like provide commentary on. And they're also not, to my knowledge, that they're not actual, like they don't do like a lot of play-by-play commentary type stuff. And as someone who has watched like both Holy Moly, but um, whatchamacallit, uh, Battle of the Network Stars, which they brought back, and also Marble Racing um, <laughs> recently, of like, if you just commit to the idea of doing sp- telecasting, uh, sports commentary type stuff, you can make anything really interesting. Like, um, Well, the people who've been coronavirus, like, sports announcing, like, walks in the park and stuff. Right. Or, or you their know. dogs eating food. Like, yeah, it's been so great. There's so stuff that you can do. Yeah. yeah. And so that lack of that here in Ultimate Tag is really weird and very noticeable, like, in the second episode for me after, like, getting over the whole, this is very silly and I'm enjoying it. And now I'm like, there are so many flaws in this show that could be fixed with just a couple of different tweaks. And it would actually be pretty solid. Yeah. The uh, the people in the second episode, man, like, they're, everybody in the first episode was very good. Yeah. But the second episode was particularly strong. I was like, why didn't they start with this one? Because, yeah. like, damn. Mm-hmm. All, I mean... So the I love how the peop, the the backgrounds you want are not martial arts. You yeah. don't need the right kind of speed for that. That's not going to help you. Though they're all insanely in good shape. But like you need track people. Yeah. And you need people with agility. Yes. So whether that's like some sort of parkour par, uh, parkour like you were saying last week, or if like the the basketball person in the first episode does pretty well because again you need to, to yeah. be able to change directions and stuff. Um, or, or like the football players, because again, same thing, you need to be able to, to spin and dodge. Um, yeah, it, it was, um, it, watching this, I, what I also like about it, which I think is an improvement over something like Ninja Warrior, which I'm a big fan of with Ninja Warrior, is that, uh, the nice thing about Ninja Warrior is that there are certain personalities you get to know over the different seasons who come back every year. And you don't get that here. But what you do get here that is nice is that people aren't just eliminated once and then they're gone. So that happened, you get a first round where you spend time with everybody and then you don't have an elimination for a little bit. So even if someone gets tagged, they're still going to have another shot. You can invest more. You can, like play along with them throughout the the episode until the final showdown round. So that really helps. I also am enjoying some of the taggers more than the others. Yeah, um, that's fair. Who I, I feel like LaFlair and Flo are the best taggers. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's the thing about the taggers is that the ones that do parkour, like, and free running are definitely, like, the best ones. Yeah, because they can just go over top and not right. have to go around. And that's the thing is like that's the courses are set up for you to go over top because going low or not going like over the obstacles is death. Yeah, <laughs> you um, will so, be tagged. Yeah, you're gonna get tagged. Um, but also like I really, I really appreciate like the person who is the Iron Giantess. Oh yeah, has just an immense amount of personality, but also yeah, is she's not, great. Not buying into like the whole persona thing of just like I'm going to be kind of cool, um, <laughs> and it's just like oh that's very good. I appreciate you very much. I like that you don't buy into your gimmick too much, unlike mm-hmm. the geek who's going whole hog on his gimmick, 
which I kind of the kid with the tongues. Like I know they told you to do the tongue thing because it makes you look younger, but like it's stop doing it. Um, But I've also watched some of the geeks like YouTube stuff, and he is delightful Mm -hmm. on YouTube. Um, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had fun with it. Um, I also appreciate that there actually legitimately is strategy to the different rounds. Yeah, and that after you know, if you watch it more of it at a certain point, you can appreciate that. So like your first watching, you're going, "This is ridiculous." By your second, third, fourth episode, you can develop very specific and detailed uh, approaches to how you feel the correct way to play is. For example, in the end, you don't try to dodge the taggers. You just you just accept that you're. You're going to get tagged yes. and you go as fast as you can. Yeah. And if you manage to not get tagged, like I think one person so far has managed to not get tagged by one of the people at the end. Congratulations. You're very impressive. Yes. Um, so like th- that element of it is pretty fun. And I feel like dome tag is the part where there's the most of strategy like that, which is pretty neat. But Which is why like in the second episode, I was really disappointed that they did that whole, this is highlights reel of dome tag because I'm just like, yeah. Dome Tag's the most exciting one you can do. Also, why are you not putting Atomic Ant in for Dome Tag every single time? Yeah. No, it's like, kind of like they haven't figured... I don't think that they figured out their what their taggers are good at yet. Because, like, I don't know if you remember, but, like, American Gladiators... Some of those Gladiators had, like, specialty, like, events that they were always yeah. in. And you were just like, oh, fuck, that person is doomed. Because Laser <laughs> is doing the thing. Um, yeah. so that's, the, that's sort of like the thing that I'm like interested in seeing if they figure that out as like, mm-hmm. as they produce more episodes. Um, the only other thing I think is worth mentioning is all the audience members with their obviously show, show produced signs of like all the, for yeah. all the taggers, yeah. it's just like, you don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> yeah. The show just gave well, you these signs and told you to wave them around so you could maybe be on TV. <laughs> And that takes us to Holy Moly, which, of course, is the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I still don't care. But um, I I think I can appreciate the things that Holy Moly does very well mm-hmm. that tag Ultimate Tag does not. Yeah. Um, and so while Ultimate Tag is much more high energy, uh, I the Holy Moly's pacing and the comedy of it, I can appreciate even more uh, having, having watched Ultimate Tag. So yeah. the, some of their... Like, some of them are just fun. Some of the different challenges are just fun. The one where they have to run, they have 2.5 seconds to run past all the, the, the eight outhouses before the door opens and knocks them into the drink is entertaining. Um, one one person almost beat it, and she just kind of, she was a second, like, just a not even a second late to, to start. If she had burst right when it, you know, burst forward right when it uh, she could go, she probably would have made it. But, um, no, w- one of the people in the first episode with the windmills just, like, eventually just, like, no, and just dumped into the water <laughs> instead. And the commentators loved it because, of course, like, they, she does realize she's got to do a second one, right? <laughs> And then she did do the second one. So she took the one stroke penalty, but she was she wasn't going to take the two stroke penalty. Um, so yes, yeah, so some of the structure and design of it is not all that compelling, but they get a surprisingly effective hour long comedic like event show out of it. Yeah, uh, everything considered. So yeah, I had some fun with those this week, though I don't know. And I actually really enjoyed watching Ultimate Tag with my dad. Mm-hmm. So that might be a reliable, like, we're not turning on the news, so let's turn on yeah. instead kind of show. So we'll see. Maybe I need to set a... But, and I bet with a season, like a DVR recording, so you could, like, skip ahead, yes. that would make a big difference. It makes a huge difference. <laughs> 
So yeah, I'll have to do that. Um, next up is Drag Race with Alone Together, the reunion show. And I, you know, I wrote this up over at the AV Club. And most, my biggest takeaway, my, my, mostly my biggest thing was, um, this looked really good. Yes. They did a really, really good job. And yes, all the all the queens look great, except for Rue. Because, I mean, come on. Come on, Rue. What was happening you can try, there? You can try a little harder. But um, the, like, I was so impressed by the editing. Yes. Both the video and the audio editing for this. Like, however they managed to film this, like, congratulations, well done. I'm sure they sent cameras and lighting rigs and everything, and mic packs to everybody. But just the, like, there are jokes that went back and forth that seemingly had a no to a minuscule amount of lag. And mm-hmm. I'm not, I still am not quite sure of how they filmed this such that they were not talking over each other so much that they could actually hear and respond to what people were saying. At first I assumed that they just like muted everybody except the, like the one or two people who were talking and then they recorded them and then like could like cut it back in. They told people to just to react. But then there were a few times where people would like react to something that like, can, the person who was being interviewed said and then somebody else responded back. Like, so I was really impressed. And um, I mean, yes, it's just a standard reunion show, but I'm now rather excited for what the finale might be based on the production level of this reunion. Yeah, I think that's the key takeaway because I generally found the reunion episode to both be a reunion episode, but also kind of boring, Um, Mm -hmm. especially in a season where a lot of the drama happened very early and was not even particularly good drama. So the fact that we have to rehash stuff between Britta and Adrian, it's just like, Oh, sorry, Britta and Aiden. It's like, no, I don't care. And as you and I have discussed elsewhere, it's been a year for these people. They're just past it. And we're all, and other people are like, no. And it's just like, (laughs) no, like, everyone's fine. It's okay. Let's move on. Um, So I think, like, the production aspect of this episode is what's more impressive about everything than, like, the narrative or the discussion of everything uh, that happened on the season. Um, so, yeah, no, just the sound editing, the visual editing, um, really chaining together good reaction shots and then reaction commentary. It's really well put together. Um, and like you, I'm very excited to see what the finale that airs today as we record is going to look like. Um because I feel like it's going to look really, really good. I hope that it looks really, really good. And I hope that Rue looks really, really good, as opposed to what Rue looks like in this episode. Yeah, okay. So the, going with the theme of, like, slumber party... I've- that one person did not follow through? Who who just did not... Britta did not... You didn't follow the brief. <laughs> yeah, some of the people didn't follow the brief. But it was so smart. It was so smart. Because uh, it just gave it this intimate feel. It gave it a feel of, like, now of people, like, relaxing and having, like, yeah. you know, a happy hour together with their friends. You know, like, it 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 let it feel more intimate, which is appropriate for a reunion show. Mm-hmm. They know these queens are not going to have drama you know, they, they weren't giving us drama throughout the season. Like, with a different set of queens, you would have approached this differently. Yes. But with this set, it was going to be very friendly, very cordial, and very, like, um, amiable through the whole thing. So having that kind of, like, pop some popcorn and put your hair up and rollers, you know, mm-hmm. and we're just going to relax kind of a thing. Or dress up or as Scrooge. <laughs> or dress up as Ebenezer Scrooge, but make it drag. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so with that theme, I was trying, like, the 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 hoodie... Right? I was like, okay, I get loungewear. I mean, I 
you could have gone for a robe, but yep. whatever. And then I was like, is the mask supposed to be a face mask? That's what I ultimately went with in my write-up. Yeah. It's obviously not. Yeah. But, and, and it was because Rue didn't want to have to do makeup. Because he, he didn't have a team there to do his makeup for him. He hasn't done his own, had to do his own makeup for, like, high-def, close-up TV in a very long time. Um, and so, unless you're going to try to get Raven there somehow and uh, and quarantine them and, like, you know, he's got a whole team who does all that stuff for him. So I look forward to seeing what it's going to be for the finale. And maybe just being like, I will do that, but only for the finale. I'm not doing it for the reunion. Fair enough. But then, like, it just was such, it was more luchador. Yes. Then it was uh, face mask. It was so it was very very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I didn't get it. But I thought the other the queens. Most of the queens looked terrific. Yeah. Everyone uh, looked great. I feel like. Yeah. I think there was a clear winner though. Who was a clear winner? Who was the clear winner? Who do you think? Jada. Oh, Obviously, yeah, that pillow was great. With the pillow and the Z's. Yeah. Yes, Jada won. Yeah. But <laughs> but everybody else was really good too. I really liked Widow's look, and then being mm-hmm. in the Papa Jean chair as well, it's just like, oh, bitch, yep. you look great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, you're you're living your best life. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> and, oh, man, Heidi's face was beat. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Anyways. I did appreciate the shade of, you came in 13th in a race of 12. <laughs> Can we talk about those real quick? Because yeah. the reads were excellent. Yes. And some people have been, like, you know, shading it because they were so obviously reading them. Yes. It's like, what do you think they do during the regular season? They memorize them ahead of time. Like, yeah, no, they are not like, on the spot. Oh, Nikki, you're just, you're reading that off a card right now or a screen, and you're not hiding it very well, but I also don't care because this is how this works. <laughs> and because they were actually very good reads. I had difficulties deciding who, who I thought was the best because there were several people. Yeah, they didn't do enough of them. They did not, especially considering there wasn't a library challenge either this year. Yeah, but I think it's because everybody got to do like two instead of having eight people, you know. So because there were all all 12 of them there, yeah. you know. But yeah, it just, um, yeah, it I was glad that they did do a reading challenge and that the reads were so good. And it, the whole thing I thought was fun. And mostly it did what it needed to do, which was clear the air on a couple things so that hopefully Britta will stop getting death threats. Um, and then let them psych people up for the finale. So, yeah, we'll see. More on the finale next week. Now let's go over to genre. And we have Mar- and we have Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the New Deal. And I had some difficulty remembering the specifics Same. of the setup. <laughs> yeah. Apparently there was a unknown amount of time that it took to set all of this stuff up. And I don't remember exactly the deal with that. But I imagine we'll be told eventually. Uh, the main takeaway for me was, looky, looky, time travel. Oh, look, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to do Legends of Tomorrow. Because there are certain time period hotspots that they can travel to. And they're going to go back and forth following the, uh, the bad guys. Yeah, the bad guys. Um, you've heard about the casting for this season, yes? I know, like, nothing about this season. Um, Do you want me to tell you or no? There's one guest star that it's very exciting. Oh, no, I know about that. Are you talking about Enver? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I know about Enver. Um, yeah, so I'm very excited for them to hop forward a couple decades yeah. so we can hang out with Enver Gokash. Um, but mostly I'm like, you want to do Legends in your own shieldy way? I'm very here for it. Yeah, no, I'm okay with it. Um, no, this episode's... I had the same thing of, like, I kind of forgot, like, what the premise of this season was going to be. 
Um, I did remember that they were very vague on like the time travel stuff right at the end of season six um, with Gemma um, being like, for reasons, because we can't tell you because we have a mystery about Fitz and also because the actor is not available for most of this season, um, <laughs> reportedly. Um, so like all of that and working, working through that, but it was also just like, oh, we're just going to hang out in 1931 and do some weird stuff and we're going to have weird face stealing stuff. Like it's kind of gross and creepy and I like it. And also the Konings were terrible earlier. It's just like, yes, Patton Oswalt gets to play a dick. (laughs) I'm here for all of this. So I really enjoyed it. Um, aside from... And I'd say aside from, but also at the same time, in keeping with being Legends of Tomorrow this season, their FDR is terrible. Uh, yeah. Just <laughs> legitimately bad, um, which is a very Legends of Tomorrow thing to do. Um, so I am I was generally pretty happy with all the silliness, and I liked all the jokes about Zeke just being like, you don't get to file any patents. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Um, ripples, not waves. Ripples, not waves. Um, and I like that whole time stream idea concept of them being like, this is how we're going to justify this. Um, and I just, that's good. I appreciate you getting that out of the way. So all in all, I'm here for all of this. And I really, that opening scene with Phil getting all of those two years of memories downloaded all at once was really kind of gut-wrenching to watch, both from... Uh, Clark Gregg's performance, which I thought was really good in that scene, to everyone else's like discomfort and like frustration with watching all of that play out as well was also really, really, really good. So I'm very on board with this whole we're going to do Legends in our own way. And also, here's everything you liked about this show. And we're going to figure it out because this is our swan swan song season. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah. The only other scene I wanted to make sure to mention is I appreciate for a show that has done, uh, I, I mean, for an able-bodied person, this is not my place to say, but what seems like a very good job yes. with disability representation with Yo-Yo, um, I thought that they gave, I mean, because there are certain things that they're going to have trouble with in the past, and having such a diverse cast yes. is going to cause problems for them, as it already starts to in this, this first episode. But um, having... So having a woman walk around with robot arms is not a thing you can do in the past um, and have without, you know, waves. So them finally giving her like normal looking like, you know, flesh and bone looking hands um, is a significant thing. And I really appreciate the way they approached it. And I also hope that when they end up back in the future, she is back to her normal hands. Yeah. Um, but I thought that that, I, I really appreciated that they addressed that, that they aren't going to just kind of put her in gloves all season and pretend it's not a thing, you yeah. know? Um, and that they will, I, I imagine they will not be shut. Like the scene of her touching her face was absolutely beautiful. And it's something that I hadn't thought about with the show in its various forms of representation, making Mac the leader, all this stuff that it has done very well throughout its run, you know, in general. Um, I hadn't thought about the disability representation, you know, which is such a able, able bodied person, like focused thing 
to not consider until I was at Comic-Con one year at a representation panel and they talked about that. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that must be really powerful for people. I'm I'm dumb. <laughs> Never thought about that. Okay, I'm working on it. Um, so I, I just thought it was very important that they gave that scene the, the significance it needed. It absolutely is. And it's arguably like of like the quieter moments in the episode apart like it's and i'm not ranking these it's that phil reactivate phil activation scene of the lmd and then that Mm -hmm. scene that both kind of propelled this episode a lot and provide a really solid emotional core to it yeah definitely um so yeah i'm looking forward to the season and uh we'll see what comes next uh let's go to our actual legends of tomorrow episode uh the one where we're trapped on tv and uh we love it God, this episode's so good. Even though, like, it's a rehash of, a retread of a number of different episodes that they've already done. It's Mm -hmm. Doom World. It's Zari has to figure out how to save everyone again. Um, Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. It still feels really fresh. It's really funny. And it's still really toothsome in, like, a number of the emotional beats. And when you can manage to do that whilst basically retreading ground that you've already done earlier in the show, but do it better than both of those other instances. Um, to a certain extent, like the time loop Zari episode is still like top tier legends tomorrow for me, but this is a much better, like doom world ask episode for any number of reasons that we'll get into here. Um, but this episode's just so, 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 so good that I kind of can't get over it. There's one problem with this episode for me, and the problem is not a them thing so much as it is a me thing. Okay. But it's also a little bit of them thing. Okay. And it is when they go to the Mr. Parker's Neighborhood song. Yes. Because the last time we saw Mr. Parker's Neighborhood. Yes. Who was in Mr. Parker's Neighborhood but our good boy Ray. Yes. <laughs> when Ray isn't here, yes. I was like, oh my god, they're going to bring back yeah. And then they didn't. And I was like, oh, damn it. Yeah. No, it... And so I was sad. It, it's a weird thing because, like, I knew, like, I got excited, but then my partner pointed out, no, he's not in the trailer for this. They had someone else in the cardigan. Um, so I just went, oh, that's right. We're not going to get Ray. That's really frustrating. I really wanted Ray here. Because um, there's no reason for him not to be here other than money and contracts. Yeah. Because... Lots of people are there that have no need to be there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like we managed to get Ramona Young back <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for an episode um, very effectively used and utilized in this episode as well. Um, though arguably like all the weird supporting like side characters from various storylines, including Rory's family popping mm-hmm. up towards the end and being... And, God, his... his, his <laughs> I'd hit that. It's just like, yes, mom, <laughs> gross. It's just like, oh, I love this show so much. But no, I absolutely agree that like, it's very weird that it's not Ray. Um, and it feels like a weird sort of sidebar, but they really want that sinister nasally thing for that sequence. Yeah, but that's not why it's not Ray. Yeah, that's why it's not Ray. It's <laughs> that's that that's not off. why it's not. It's not Ray because then Ray would have to be in the finale and the show moving forward. Mm-hmm. So. And they wanted to write him off. Yeah. So that that's why it's not him. Yeah. And I said to deal with that as much as I would, other you know, it was as as much as it would have made all of our little you know 
legends hearts go pitter pat. But aside from that separate element, uh, I thought that they really nailed their different parodies. Yes. Uh, was it like Ultimate Buds? Yeah, so and, they did Ultimate Buds for Friends, which is just... Yeah. Was really, really well done. Um, they've got Downton Abbey for High Castle Abbey, which... Mm-hmm. Nailing both the music for that is like what's really key in that sequence, and they really hit the Downton Abbey score. They they crushed the score. Yeah. It was exactly right. It's, yeah, it's too perfect. As someone who has listened to that soundtrack quite a bit, because it's really good, um, it's like, oh no, that's that is all very correct. <laughs> and then Star <laughs> Trip um, mm-hmm. for our two captains for life with a crew that never dies because they're all mm-hmm. androids. <laughs> um it was just it was very good um aside from the fact that i was just like where's rory where's rory show where's rory is he in like professional wrestling and then to have him be con but movie con not tv series con because you need to do glorious hair you need to do the hair and he's doing a different voice and just like show that was worth you making me wait (laughs) Mm -hmm. but also just like nailing faux romulan stuff like see i don't think they nailed that i think that was the weak point of that i think that the romulan costumes look really really good and knock off appropriate enough and i i like the head i like the prosthetic work in that yeah i think they didn't do a good enough job of differentiating the our characters Oh, I think that's fair. Yeah, and that that might fit, but then it was too hard to track. There wasn't enough specificity to the individual characters, and there wasn't enough specificity to their ship and everything. It just felt like filling time. It didn't feel... That did not feel as organic to Star Trek as the other stuff felt organic to uh, Downton and to Friends. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was... That's part of why the Star Trek one wasn't as effective for me. I thought everything with... Every everything with the captains was great. I, I mean, and I I loved their kiss at the end. It was like they managed to do like a whip around, sweep someone into a dip thing that wasn't a dip, so yes. that they could be equal partners in the kiss. Mm-hmm. Which is like I can't think I can't think of a time I've seen that uh, on my shows. It's always one of the characters is in like a more dominant and a more submissive positioning and so to to not do that felt very um pointed and empowering in such an awesome way mm-hmm. um yeah it was so cool yeah uh not to mention i'm sure you know all of the fun that you can have with all the the slashers out there the slash right. it's just like but, you, get, you hit the slash layers and then you're just like there are gay people in a TOS parody. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's very, it's all very good. And yeah, it's yeah. just, and Katie Lotz's Shatner impression is just. It was fun. I've seen better. No, it no, you're significantly better. But she didn't want to overdo it, which I appreciate because it's really easy to overdo a Shatner impression. Oh, I see. I thought it was overdone. Oh, okay. Well, also, <laughs> if you're going to overdo a ham. That's the ham yeah. to overdue. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I also, I really liked, um, I really liked the the Spock of it all too. Yeah. And we cannot finish discussing this without mentioning uh, Constantine's hair. Oh. Because that was my favorite part of all the Downton stuff. <laughs> I like that it just steadily starts taking on color too. Uh-huh. Um, it's just, it's, it's very good. Um, and I really just appreciated. 
also like we should take a moment to like really get into like Tala Ash, like how good mm-hmm. she's been this season, but then to like really drive that home in this episode um, of like the vocal work that she's been doing to differentiate Zari and Zari um, and like how those differences play. It's just, it's really, really, it's really good. And like, they should never let her leave this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is I kind of need them to keep both of the Zari right. and How- also yes. Berad, which they can't do because right. the ship is already too full. Yes. Um. So I, you know, I have a feeling one of the Zaris is going to die yes. in, in the next episode, but I would really like them to just like, I, I want them to be on the show, but if they can't be on the show, uh, I, I want Astra to go off into the sunset. Yes. And I want uh, Zari 2.0 and Beirat to go off into the sunset. And and Zari 1.0 can stay on the show uh, because, let's let's be honest, uh, we we need someone, <laughs> we need anyone uh, to, to be inter- interacting uh, with Nate. Um, and... And, and then just stop, pop by for a visit sometime. Like, and I, I also loved how, how like, immediately, like, clear Ava was with, with his, like, oh, it's, like, a clone thing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't In case you forgot she's a clone. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the pinning this episode on Zari 1.0 after only having seen her in two brief, like, moment, like, one brief moment at the very beginning in that video. Yeah. And the that one scene with Zari 2.0 was very smart and it, you know Tala Ash is up for the performance she does a really great really great job and there's enough weight there then to all the significant you know to all the interactions because we've been missing her and also she's been missing all the other characters that it really makes sense with her and with you know that she's the one that propels everything else and it gives such a powerful weight to these interactions that it balances all of the silliness. So it just was really smartly put together. Yeah, no, it's great. And there's just so many, like, it's emotionally chewy. It's got all that good sort of legend self-winking acknowledgement, like the idea of Nate auditioning for Arrow when he <laughs> posed as Oliver Queen for the fake crossover back in Hey World. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, oh, I love you, show. I love you very <laughs> much. Um, please get this finale and just really nail it. Um, for me, if there's like a sticking point apart from what you sort of already enumerated, it's that Charlie doesn't get a lot of play in this episode. Um, and that lack of an emotional arc for her is kind of a problem given the premise of the whole thing. Um, so that's kind of a problem for me, especially given how Charlie as a character has been kind of like really squishy. Um, and even more so the fact that she's been arguably supposed to be very central to this season's arc and has not been, um, is a kind of a stumbling block for me that they still don't know what to do with this character, even though they're basing the entire season around Charlie and they kind of went meh. Yeah. Here. Yeah, it's not a problem with this episode. It's a problem with the season yeah. overall. Yeah. And it's a real big problem because I don't buy this. I, d- I don't buy that our Charlie comes up with this idea and this is her solution yeah. and that she's okay with that. Um, if they had 
given her more agency. Uh, this is something I was texting with friends of the show, Allison Shoemaker, about this uh, as the episode was airing. Yeah. If they had given Charlie more agency in chasing down the loom. Yes. And making it more her idea, and so therefore she felt the sense of guilt mm-hmm. over getting her friends killed. Yes. Over, like, all that. Then I could absolutely buy this more cowering, like, this is the best solution I could come up with kind of response. But th- they didn't do that. She had to be like, you know, twist her arm into it. So like, they just they have they've bungled her arc this season, and and that's not a term I use with legends very often because it's a rare thing for them to do. But it really is disappointing um, that they they weren't able to to manage that trajectory better mm-hmm. and really right to this point. Yeah, because then I'm sure she's gonna you know have a redeeming thing in the finale, and they're gonna they they always win. It's a matter of how many people have to die yeah. in the process. <laughs> um, so, you know, I I think they I think this could have been even better yes. with a few tweaks. Um, but I really really liked it. It was it was very good. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. It's hard to like get caught up on those negatives. But in that particular instance, I feel like the episode brings it into like stark contrast of everything else in this is really good. Here's like this big glaring negative thing that you don't realize until you go, "Oh, wait, none of this works." <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it it would have been better if they had, like, fixed that. Yeah. Well, um, our last episode for the Week in TV is the Good Fight finale. Uh, and this is, we've talked about several finales so far that were not intended as finales. But for the most part, most of them have worked. Yes. Um, this one, not so much. The gang discovers who killed Jeffrey Epstein is the finale. And yes, there's a bit of a cliffhanger with the fate of the firm and stuff. But that's not usually the kind of cliffhanger that the show ends on. Um so it's going to be, uh, it, it feels like a last act turn. It doesn't feel like a finale. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens at the start of the next season. Um, I, I assume it's already renewed. It is renewed for a fifth season. Yes. Okay. So w- let's start with the Jeffrey Epstein of it all. And then oh, let's go and then let's go to everything else. So sure. uh, what did you think of the case of the week and how they handled it? Did you like the eventual reveal at the end? So I was really concerned about them doing a Jeffrey Epstein thing after the premiere with the Hillary Clinton dream thing, because I didn't think like mm-hmm. that worked particularly well, because um, the Harvey Weinstein of all just didn't come together in a way that I thought really made sense for me. Um, and I also just didn't like the general politics of it. Um, so that was like barriers. This works much better, I think. Um, I think like the whole idea of wanting to avoid falling into a conspiracy trap and then immediately falling into one um, and how easy that is and dramatizing how easy that is, um, I think is really, really compelling and really, really interesting um, to demonstrate just you want things to make sense and you're going to latch on to something that helps you make sense and all, a lot of this is real. Like, Bill Barr's dad actually did write a book that was this book. And it's just like your mind kind of leaks things out of your ear when you think about that. Um, and so all of that and watching it just slowly build into this own little conspiracy that uncovered the truth. <laughs> um, air quotes. A, a truth, I think, is just really, really interesting. And then to just wrap it all into a large Citizen Kane reference at the halfway through and then really drive it home. 
um, down to like seeding it out from like this idea of I really want to make him his own Hearst Castle, which is what Xanadu and Citizen Kane is supposed to be based on, and all of this stuff, and it's all there throughout from Bud, um, and just all of this stuff, and then just ending with a Citizen Kane reference, and then going, no, no, wait, the sled's a, the sled's a red herring. We've got the real Rosebud in the in the Parasite <laughs> Cavern, and it's just like, oh, you. F- um so i really actually really enjoyed the case of the week i like how they presented it i liked the whole layering of it i it's just really good and ultimately i think like pinning 618 into this to a certain degree to kind of like give a thematic button to the season even if it doesn't work as a finale i think still works as a thematic finale for them um, even if it doesn't work as a good plot finale, uh, since they were really gearing up for that in episode eight, which is why all the Julia stuff in this episode is actually from episode eight, um, that they had shot for a few days and that that was all they were going to get. So all the Julia stuff's from episode eight, um, that they worked in so that they could have some sort of a cliffhanger f- to carry them through to season five. Um, I, but I really, really liked it. I liked the weirdness. I liked this show ending on a dick joke. Um, just all of this. I think this show's so fucking weird, Kate. Um, so I really liked it. I thought it was good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. How did you feel about it? I think, um, I really liked the case of the week. It was funny. It was ridiculous. And how do you avoid conspiracy theories? With yeah. Figures like Epstein. Yeah, right? no, like, exactly. That's the problem. How? Yeah. If it's like, if you, end up completely uh, separated, divorced from conspiracy theories or things that sound like conspiracy theories. It means you aren't engaging with the facts because of what his life was. So like, yeah, yeah. I think just, they had the right balance with that in this episode, I thought, and they did a good job of having characters back away from and embrace that um, in equal measure at various, at various points. Um, and taking characters who are usually more reserved and letting them be the ones to, to bring up those issues, I thought worked well. So yeah, it was fun. It was ridiculous. and It was fun. Um, the larger stuff with the season, I, I mean, I, I did not know that the Julia stuff was from the next episode. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it was good that they put it in. I'm glad that they were able to incorporate it here. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but the the tensions with the firm make sense. The uh, we have to talk about the some of the casting news for next year. Yes, but um, the the stuff with the firm made sense. There are some larger issues or questions I have about the season that I don't know whether they would have been resolved with the final three episodes sure. or not. Um, I'm very confused about the Hugh Dancy stuff. Yes. Um, other than enjoying Hugh Dancy and being, you know, appreciating him being on my TV and, you know, I don't know that I buy the character and I don't know that I buy, um, his interactions, um, with a lot of the cast. So, in though that military episode was fun. Military court is always a, a hoot on these shows, but, um, yeah, I still enjoyed this episode and, um, I look forward to what's going to come next. There's some casting we have to talk about, though. And the first casting we have to talk about is Donalyn Champlin as the cheerleader, which I'm 
I'm sad that they burned that casting because now she can't be on in a recurring role. But also, I never would have thought of that. And it is glorious. Yeah, no, it's like I immediately went into Smorgasbordy and went, best cameo right here. <laughs> this is it. No one's going to do this better. Um, yeah. Just because it comes out of nowhere. And it's mm-hmm. just like, all right, I know she's done a lot of Broadway work. But I feel like she's here because the Kings love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That is my head canon: is that they love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's very, very good, and how memorable. And I, I was like mid text to Allison when I was like, "Kate, she's not awake yet. You're <laughs> up stupid early. Stop. You're gonna talk to her later today at when we talk about Lucifer. So just wait." Five hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, and listeners, she's behind on the good fight. So, I unfortunately, we can't we can't share any Allison reaction. But, um, yeah, it was delightful and very good. And, yay. I look forward to um, Allison's thoughts when she gets there. But uh, the other casting thing we have to talk about is that Delroy Linda is not going to be on the show next year. Yes. And uh, some, there was something about an Instagram live story saying Kush Jumbo may not be on the show next year either. Right. So... Breaking it all down, Lindo's departure was announced back in February before the show even premiered um, because he is going to headline a ABC uh, drama called Harlem's Kitchen that he was very, very excited about and very interested in. Um, so, And his contract was also up at the end of this season anyway. Um, and he was very, very excited about uh, this show, Harlem's Kitchen. And they even, like, tried to figure out if the production overlap could be avoided. It wasn't going to be. So he opted to do this pilot. The door is going to be open for him to come back if the pilot doesn't get picked up. Um, and who the hell knows, given the everything of it all uh, yeah. right now. Um, but it, his departure is not apparently based on any animosity about him being on The Good Fight. Because apparently he really, really enjoys doing the show. Um, so it's got nothing to do with the show in any way, shape or form. It's just this other project came along that he was going to be the lead of, and he was very, very excited about doing it. So it has absolutely nothing to do with his unhappiness with the good fight or anything like those, because he really likes being on the show, um, apparently. So that's really good. Um, and the door is open for him to come back if he wants to come back, basically. So that's really good as well, because I don't like the the idea of this show without him. Yeah, he feels like a necessary counterpoint to, to Bransky. Yeah, no, and, he's... And the, the dynamics of yeah. The, the, the... Yeah, yeah no, sure. he's very necessary, I feel like. And that character is very necessary. Um, then the Kushjumbo apparently announced on an Instagram Live thing that she's not coming back. Um, but because it's Instagram Live, I can't find it anywhere anymore. <laughs> and yeah. none of the trades are reporting about it either. To, and like, I don't know that there's been any official confirmation about this. And I'm very confused if like, I assume everyone's contract was up for this after four seasons. Um, just given the nature of a streaming show and the fact that maybe they just didn't expect it to do more than that. Uh, but also all of these people are like in demand folks. Um, which is another reason to not tie them up for too long. Aside from Baranski, who I think just loves playing Diane Lockhart. And why wouldn't you? Because she's a fabulous character. Um, but 
I don't know. So, like, I haven't been able to find anything. Jumbo's not been talking about it on her, like, Twitter feed. Um, Like, she's been doing a lot of work to, like, talk about the Hamlet that she's doing, which I very desperately want to see. Um, And all this stuff, but I don't have anything about the good fight. So it's kind of a weird situation of she's apparently leaving, but we don't know. Um, So I don't know. Um, Yeah. I don't... It's bad optics for the show, as we, you and I have discussed, that all the people of color seem to be leaving their show or quitting their show or being written off of their show, um, mm-hmm. especially, like, their leads. Um, even except though, Rose Leslie. Except Rose Leslie and also Justin Bartha. And, like, there, it's just a weird sort of situation for the show that's constantly retooling itself to a certain degree. But it retools itself in weird ways um, in terms of its casting. Um, just don't let Audra McDonald go show. Just don't do it. You, yeah. you have to keep her. <laughs> you have to keep Audra McDonald. And you have to keep Christine Baranski. And you should have to well, keep Delroy Lindo. But I appreciate the fact that this project came along yeah. and he really wanted to do it. And his contract yeah. is up. So. I'm more invested in, like, in Kosheva's performance than I am in most of the things in the show. Yeah. Um, Even though so she's yeah. been stranded in another show this season, much to like her detriment, also to the fact of like she has a kid. Does she though? Does she really have mm-hmm. a kid? <laughs> if we never see the kid, does the kid exist? Yeah. yeah. Um, Pizza game. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they can have her win a twenty million dollar hand of poker, and so then she retires. Yeah. To, to go to choose a. a was it family, friends, and sleep? Yes. <laughs> Instead of work and fitness. Um, yeah. So I'm very hesitant about, I mean, about what that'll mean for the show. Yes. It, yeah. I was not hesitant about Rose Leslie because the show didn't know what to do with that yes. character with Maya. Um, I was not hesitant about uh, losing Bartha, though he was fun on the show uh, because the main, you know, Luca, Luca is the main character that yes. matters in that little corner of things. But um, both, if if they're losing both of those performers, right, like at the same time, that's gonna be rough. Yeah, uh, like, though they have a plot reason that they can do it because they need to cut twenty percent of yes. their budget. Right, and that little scene with the check marks and like I thought that was actually a really great little way to visualize that. Yeah, no, it was a really good way of visualizing it, and then. It's so weird that in a show and with these creators and this franchise where firm shenanigans should be like at the forefront and then like the whole thing of Lara Cat screwing them over by putting Diane into pro bono to lower her billable hours and thus preventing them from being able to buy themselves out should be like the ultimate sort of like gut punch. But then it's like, no guys, Jeffrey Epstein stuff. And it's just, it shows like where the King's priorities are now that I just like, they're going full weird um, as opposed to like hitting the fan type stuff, which is what that should feel like. And yet it's not the main thrust. It feels really satisfying on like a narrative level, but it's not what you remember about the episode until you start like ticking through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, any other thoughts on this season? Um, I mean, it's hard to say because of how truncated this season ended up being in a way that other truncated seasons were not. Um, so I think it's I think it's arguably maybe their weakest season, um, just because of a being shorter, but also it kind of lacked a focus. I think 
that Memo 618 just wasn't quite able to give them. But maybe it all would have also snapped into focus by the end. Probably, maybe. But like yeah. like you said, uh, Hugh Dancy's character just... I don't know what it what it what what Hugh Dancy's character does in this show. Um, as much as I enjoy his kind of weirdo performance on it, it's doesn't it doesn't gel with a lot of the other stuff that's happening. So I think that had they had their full season, maybe things would have felt better. But as it is, it lacks a focus for me that I was really sort of interested in watching. Um, but at the same time, the idea of the good fight doing sort of a conspiracy thriller season, complete with a really bad car chase in episode six, I just... I like this show so much and it's very much on my wavelength that I can't be too upset, but I definitely think this is probably their weakest season since season one. Um, But it's also their weakest season in this like retooled post-Trump kind of worldview season they started really tapping into in season two. So that's kind of how I feel about it is like, this is the weakest version of what this show is now, but it's also the weakest version of the show overall, I think, is not barring like what they were trying to do in season one. How, how did you feel about it? Oh, I like it more than you do. Okay. Or maybe, maybe an accurate thing is that when I think of this season, I will think of the firm politics, I will think of some of these different storylines, and I will think of Memo 618. Yeah. Um, you know what I won't think about? I won't think about microdosing. That's fair. I won't fair. think about uh, the Maya and her stupid family stuff, and I also won't think about My- Maya, like, breaking bad. Um, Fentanyl so, like, lollipops for life. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of things I won't think about. hmm um, and I will think about Sarah Steele talking about plants. Will you think about Jeffrey Epstein's dick? No. No. I will scrub that out of there. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I will think about um, them peering into that tiny, like, like tor- torture hole and being like, don't go in there because you don't know who's hiding in this island. You're going to die. Have you ever seen a horror movie? You're going to die. So um, I kept waiting yeah. for Marissa to say, how have you not seen Parasite? It's on Hulu now. <laughs> I I loved her, the costuming for her because that blouse yes. was definitely given to her to give it an Indiana Jones feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was great. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I like this season more than you did. But it definitely was hampered by being so truncated yeah. with those last three episodes. They very easily could have. Don't know if they would have, but they could have tied things together quite a bit and... Um, in a, in a particularly compelling way. So we'll see what happens next season. But for right now, what wins your week in TV? Um, there is a, a correct answer. There is a correct answer. And it's a two-way tie between Legends of Tomorrow and the Good Fight Finale. <laughs> the correct answer, yes, is indeed Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I, I like the Good Fight Finale, but for me, it's... You know, it's it's not it's no Legends of Tomorrow, the one where we are trapped on TV. So. Both episodes um, had Citizen Kane references. What more do you want? <laughs> Ray Palmer. That's yes, what I want. Yeah, that's what but, we all want. <laughs> on that bittersweet note, uh, we'll we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back to talk about Mrs. America. Please join me in welcoming Phyllis Schlafly. They say that women are like tea bags. You don't know their strength until they get into hot water. We need to talk about the threat of the women's liberation movement. So let me be clear. 
I am not against women working outside the home. That's their choice. What I am against is a small, elitist group putting down homemakers. They want to create a sex-neutral society, which will mean that women are going to find themselves with two full-time jobs. So you need to tell your senators you want them to vote no on this Equal Rights Amendment so we can have a country that we are proud to leave our daughters. Housewives have no idea what it's like to have to work to survive. They're scared. It will damage family life. How much time do we give people to adapt to change? Our women do not want to sacrifice their present privileges for some phony equality with men. I think we should focus. Could, could you take notes for us? You probably have the best penmanship. Oh, of course. <laughs> Why should women accept this picture of a half-life? They truly believe that men and women are the same. It's not enough for them to have the right to work. We want equal pay for equal work. Now you tell me that's liberation? What that is a liberation? Liberation's in the home. You are not really a housewife. You are a full-time lobbyist. I have let you run around this country with your cause. I have raised six of your children. Can't keep me from going. He didn't want me to act on it. We need to demand true equality. We are here to move history forward. We will lead America for the ERA and take our country back. That was the trailer for Mrs. America, which is on FX on Hulu and just finished up its nine episode season. This is a, I don't know what they're calling it, but it is a one and done. It should not continue beyond here because this is a a season telling the story of the um, fight for the ERA to be ratified um, and just the specific politics around the women's lib movement and the fight for the ERA and against the ERA, um, very much centered on uh, Phyllis Schlafly, but on many uh, prominent women of the time uh, and starring Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Schlafly, as well as a bunch of other really talented, famous people. Yes. Um, so what did you think of Mrs. America and, uh, you know, how do you feel like it handled, you know, like it's one, it's like, the rough format is like each of these women get a spotlight episode um, while we are following all of them through this period of time. And do you feel like that sort of short story approach was beneficial or ended up kind of overshadowing the larger narratives? So I think that like first couple episodes, I wasn't like super on board with it. It felt like a little cold not cold but i felt a little distant from it and i couldn't quite figure out why um but as i like watched like five episodes in a row of it last week um that all went away like this is really very 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 good um apart from like the performance levels because hey turns out that Kate Blanchett, Rose Byrne, Uzo Odabo, Elizabeth Banks, um Sarah Paulson, Tracy Ullman, Jamie Triplehorn, Margot Martindale and also i really want to emphasize Melanie Linsky, yeah, um, all really good actors. <laughs> turns out, who who would have thought that you hire all these people? Um, but not only from an acting perspective, because the show is ridiculously well acted. Um, 
that on a on a narrative level, I think that this is a really great look at the perils and problems of building coalitions and how you do that and the ways in which you do that and the compromises you have to make to do that given your perspective on how that works and who you want to include and who isn't included. And I think that watching all of that play out um, across all these episodes and then watching those also play out in these like short story focused episodes, which I think is a really good way of describing it, particularly like um, Houston um, is just like gut punch of a beautiful little weird episode that is also really kind of thorny, but is really good anyway. Um, I think generally it all really, really works well. And I don't really feel like a, like focusing on anyone detracts from anything because their perspectives inform so much of how everything else works um, that it just makes sense for me to do it like that. And I think it also allows these actors to get moments to shine. Like you, you put, you, you get Elizabeth Banks to play um, Jean Ruckelhouse and Jill Ruckelhouse, and then she just kind of fades in and out, and then she gets an episode, and you're just like, oh, right, this is why you cast Elizabeth Banks for this. Um, so all of this, I think, works really, really well. I ended up really, really liking this. Um, and counter to a number of like reviews that came out at the beginning of this, I don't think that this is a Schlafly um apologist show i don't think this show wants you to root for her i don't think this show wants you to feel compelled by her i think that the show very much wants you to see her as a victim especially by the end and especially with the reference that they make in the end of the show to another film um not another film but to another to a film as opposed to because this is not a 10-hour movie no um (laughs) really positions her as a victim that was both wanting to do very to do kind of the same thing that all the feminists she was railing against kind of wanted to do in the same position but did it in a way that doesn't work because she ends up still trapped within the confines of the very thing that she wanted to champion so i don't think that this is an apologist thing i think you can view her borderline as an anti-hero but she's still an antagonistic force that is also a victim um she just wanted to be one almost but not not her specifically because she wanted to be secretary of defense god damn it yeah she wanted to be one of the good ones yeah um yeah and i the notion that this is uh that this is promoting her is ridiculous to me yes and even like from the earliest episodes it just feels like um it it, it's very clear to me early on how the show feels about her and and i think it's it's aware of her capabilities it's aware of how canny and smart she was and how she was able to achieve everything that she did and it did not what uh, did not back away from that it did not sugarcoat that or try to pretend that that wasn't the case just because what she stood for was yep. doing her best to make sure that women were not allowed or not promised equal rights in the constitution um 
Yeah. So, like, the fact that her goal is not what most people, um, I feel confident saying that, most people watching it uh, would agree with, doesn't change the fact that she was in- incredibly smart and yes. incredibly underestimated. You know, the notion that the, it's, it's, it's an underdog story, but the underdogs are the bad guys, <laughs> you yes. know? And, and they are coming from a place of... Um, they're coming from a place of feeling maligned and and underappreciated and not seen and, and part not invited into the coalition by that coalition. Um, and so it's a cautionary tale at the same time. So yes, there's there's a lot that this is doing. Um, my besides of all of the excellent performances, uh, let's also shout out Nisi Nash, who doesn't get nearly enough to do, uh, yeah. but is terrific, of course, in her few scenes. But it's also by the nature of the politics on the fringe of it because of what she wants to do, which yeah. is the other thing. Like, it's very purposeful, but yeah, no, yeah. um, her performance as Flo Kennedy is great. Yeah. And then Annie Priest is really good. It's Midge. Uh, Andrea Nevado is, of course, always enjoy seeing her pop up. She got a little more to do here than she did on The Good Fight this season. A little bit more. Um, there's, there's a bunch of really terrific uh, performances throughout. But for me, the takeaway is I'm, I got my eye on, on uh, Davi Waller, who is the creator um, and whose credits as a writer previously are Commander in Chief, only one episode, uh, Desperate Housewives. Eli Stone, Mad Men, and Halt and Catch Fire, and something called American Odyssey, which I apparently need to look up, because if you say, oh yeah, one of the writers from Mad Men, Eli Stone, Desperate Housewives, and Halt and Catch Fire is doing a show about the ERA, I say, hmm, I will watch that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm, she's also a playwright, um, but yeah, I, I'm very excited for whatever whatever comes next because I think it's a really smart way to handle this complicated and interesting material. Um, I feel like Gabe Blanchett is getting most of the attention, but can we also give some attention to Rose Byrne? Because as Gloria Steinem, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people are underfamiliar with Phyllis Schlafly, and hopefully that will change yeah. now, thanks to this. But Steinem is is like sort of the opposite issue where she's such a viewed figure that, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, we're very familiar with Rose Byrne, but you put her in that hair with those <laughs> glasses. And I just, I felt like I was watching, uh, I felt like I was watching Steinem and the, um, the, the, again, if what feels like for someone who's not an expert on this topic or this, this period of history, what feels like a very clear eyed view of her and her strengths and weaknesses and of just the handling of the women's lib movement by a group of well-intentioned, mostly straight white women at the, you know, is, is something for the well-intentioned straight white women in the audience like myself to really take in and really consider. And I, yeah, I just thought, I thought it was, an important equalizing force. If you only had someone like Blanchett as Schlafly and with Sarah Paulson as her right hand mm-hmm. woman and uh, and Melanie Linsky as Rosemary, and you didn't have that same kind of charisma and strength on the other side, it wouldn't work. But it it does because of these wonderful performances. It does, and like the various ways in which they counterpoint, like this idea of like coalition building and feeling excluded from coalitions. Um, I think it's just 
ends up being really central. And so how that all plays out across this and how that gets complicated within both groups, um, whether it's like in Phyllis, Fred and Brenda and Mark, which I think is a really solid episode that demonstrates various sort of issues of what we expect from one another, let alone our partners. And when our politics get in the way of our personal lives in a weird way, um, how that interplays with everyone and then how that ultimately can shut us down. Um, I think it's, it's all really good. Um, and I feel like I'm running in circles because <laughs> like, it's just really good. It's everyone. just really good. Um, um, let's, let's talk about some of the production elements. Cause sure. I thought that the, I mean, obviously the costuming and hair, right. It's very, of you know, it's very, it draws your attention, but I thought yeah. that, you know, I actually was really compelled and drawn to the score. I love the use of a fifth of Beethoven for the theme song. I was rocking out yeah. every time <laughs> that it came up. The title sequence is going to be on my list as some of the best titles from this year. Um, and just the attention and the care to constructing and making something, making it feel of the period, but not in the period mm-hmm. works really well. Yeah, and I get what you're saying about like that because they they avoid a kind of desire to make everything look a little grungy, um, and part of that's avoided by like not doing a lot of like location based shooting in terms of like being outside because it would be very difficult. Um, so there's a lot of set work, but like the Schlafly's house feels very much exactly what that house should look like. Um, given their status and everything. Um, so I think all of that works really well. Um, one other thing about the aesthetics I think is worth mentioning, and I can't take credit for this. Um, Emily Vanderwerf wrote about this over a little bit and how they use our expectations of like camera movement to drive home certain like thematic things. So like a lot of the stuff with, um, Schlafly's group is staged really sort of like with single camera setups in terms of the camera does not move a lot. There's cuts as opposed to camera movement. Um, whereas with Steinem and the ERA group, um, there's a lot of like fluid camera movement. There's fewer cuts because the camera is very mobile in those sequences. And all of this like conveys this idea of momentum versus stagnancy. Um, and that's something I didn't notice. But then after I read Emily's piece, like I was watching for it and I was just like, oh shit, they did put a lot of work into this in terms of like figuring out how to like even provide a really subtle visual language to both of these groups that then when you get to something like Houston blows that up in terms of how that gets deployed and to what ends. Yeah. Let's talk about Houston a bit because I think I'm the person who likes this show who didn't really care for Houston. Mm, <laughs> um, uh-huh. Cause everybody else loves it. Um, yeah. And I, I think some of it, I, I guess Paulson's character, Paulson's performance is really good, but uh-huh. that character did not work for me as well. As some of the others because this was an amalgam character who they kind yes. of used to be everyone else. Yeah. And um, it's like they couldn't f- find someone who had broken from the stop ERA movement by the end to be that person. So they made one up uh, to, to raise these questions be like, oh, but aren't you lying? And don't we care about that? Um, and so that it feels kind of convenient. And it's like, well, we need to show her getting disillusioned. So let's do that in this way. Um, and I just, I had trouble buying into it. It didn't feel as grounded 
as some of the others. It, it felt it felt like the most like you are watching a show, TV show of the sure. various journeys you went on with the characters. Yeah, and I think like your point about that is exactly right. Like because she's amalgamation, and because Alice is an amalgamation, and because of what they want to like really propel forward. So to a very certain extent, so Schlafly's antagonistic vibe is really driven home by the end. I feel like is also really what they want to do is to like kind of curb that. No, 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 this is not an endorsement. Um, um, is why that's there. But I do agree that this episode, more than the other ones, feels like you're watching a show. But everybody else seems to have liked it, and I know that you liked it too, so... I did, but, like, and it's okay, though, because I think, like, your criticisms of that episode are really valid. And I think that that episode is both really delightful and interesting, but it is hamstrung by a number of issues that you've just completely laid out. Um, which is why it's such a thorny, weird little episode in this show. Um, but I also feel like those those little issues probably make it a little bit better mm-hmm. than these other episodes because those other episodes have that kind of polished sense to them. And this one feels a little more ragdoll. Um, and I don't necessarily begrudge a show wanting or ending up with a ragdoll of an episode like this. Um, because Alice herself is both a ragdoll of a character because she's stitched together from a number of people, but she's also ends up being sort of the ragdoll of like the movement, um, on her side of things. Um, so I think that it works, but it's, yeah, I think it works, but I really very much understand where you're coming from with it. I don't think it's like the the perfect episode for this show because there are a number of very perfect kind of episodes for this show, but it's definitely, I think the most interesting of the episodes just on a, like this, this is a very different approach to how we're going to tell this story. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people latched onto it. Well, and I do think that while it feels more like I'm telling a story than a lot of the other scenes and approaches uh there are definitely people who went to that women's conference and took a pill that they thought they knew what it was and it wasn't and went on a trip and had a life-changing experience too like that's definitely a thing that was happening at this time as well so uh while it's not and also it happens at conferences and conventions to this day yeah (laughs) yeah um so like yeah that that is a valid story worth telling in this like more prismed sort of approach to how they're gonna tell this story so um one of the things that i thought was really interesting watching and i guess my final thought as we as we wrap up here is the um it was really compelling to see some of these different moments with treated with just enough hindsight um Mm -hmm. so a moment like in the finale all of the the group um the committee the or whatever the commission, the commission yep. thank you uh resigning um in solidarity with with bella and in the it's it's treated very much as a hell yes solidarity moment but then as the viewer you know okay and also not because of this necessarily but it's i'm sure it didn't help with turnout you carter's gonna lose re-election reagan's gonna come in and uh things are going to get worse. And I I thought that there was a good awareness of the 
difficulties around these different choices. And while moments earlier in the season hit that a little, I think, too heavy. I I mentioned when we talked about the premiere, all these discussions of, oh, this is just a right-wing radical from Illinois. And I'm just sitting here going like, Jeannie Ives! Jeannie Ives! uh, Who is running for my congressional seat. Um, And... Yeah. Anyways, uh, I try not to be that specific about my politics most of the time, but yeah. Anyways, that, that felt like a bit of like a more of a siren, you know, um, as opposed mm-hmm. to a more balanced approach. Um, I thought that as the show went on, they did a good job of, of making putting you in the shoes of these characters so that you can understand where they're coming from and why they're making the decisions they're making what feel like the right decisions for that character, while also... Yeah giving you that space so that you can appreciate the ways that this is either the right choice, a a difficult but correct choice, or the wrong choice, but an understandable one. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I fully agree with that. Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on on the season or, uh, you know, moments or performances you wanted to shout out? We haven't mentioned any of the guys. (laughs) Oh, no, but, like, James Marston's really, really good. Yeah. Um, Slattery, as, very uh, good. Crane, Slattery's great. Um, but yeah, are those all the guys worth mentioning? Um, Adam Brody as uh, Mark mm-hmm. um, Fegan Fasto, who basically just has like a, an episode more or less, um, is really good in that episode. I will say that like I was completely stunned and was not expecting Bobby Cannavale to show up, mm-hmm. um, and then he shows up as the talk show host in that episode, and I just went. Why? But also, why not? Um, <laughs> so watching him just, like, do that was just really, really fun. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think I have really anything else on a performance level. It's just, this was very, very good. And I'd encourage you to check this out. Well, and because Bobby Cannavale is married to Rose Byrne. <laughs> oh, is he? I didn't know that. Oh, okay, yeah. well, that explains it. <laughs> also because he's very good. No, <laughs> he he's good very stuff, good. But, but yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I didn't know that. So Yeah, but I, this, I would definitely recommend this to anyone who is up for, well, looking for an, any of a number of things. Shows with really fun, uh, like, period piece uh, tropes and as far as, like, aesthetics and, like, uh, kind of kind of a slice of history kind of shows. Excellent performers and performance-driven shows. Uh, or just uh, awards bait <laughs> if you want to be yes. up in the awards bait. It's it's a really it's a really good show. I I thought it it uh, handled a nuanced topic pretty well. Um, and hopefully it'll be a cautionary tale against uh, dismissing figures like Schlafly um, and underestimating voices uh that you would assume you have in the bag supporting your coalition because your policies are theoretically better for them to not take those groups for granted um anyways you're right it won't be anyways on that cheery note a few show notes you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can like our page on facebook and start up a conversation there you can email us at televerse at gmail.com you can uh find us in apple Podcasts with an m4h uh chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed we'd appreciate ratings and reviews there and you can also find us over in stitcher and we'd also appreciate ratings and reviews there and of course we're both on uh twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel or k thanks for a great discussion kate Thank you, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 